Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. Due to budget cuts, tonight's wardrobe is brought to you by torn flannel pajamas and an old worn out bathrobe. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining. 18 and over, adults only, pipe smoking broadcast. I am your host, Brian Levine, and it is a cool Tuesday, well, let's just call it downright cold Tuesday night here in Concord, North Carolina, but we've got a hot show tonight. So in Pipe Parts tonight, I'm going to talk a little bit about an update to my uh, my standard daily or every pipe full cleaning routine and a couple little tidbits on that. But the best part is my guest tonight is a musician and pipe smoker Dom Flemons. Dom, uh, we played his music a couple weeks ago. He's a uh, to say he's a throwback musician is uh, is an understatement. So we'll have Dom on the phone. Uh, music, more music from Dom, and then mailbag and a uh, rant, all that coming up at the end of the show, so stick all the way with us. Uh, hey, if you are uh, got some extra time over the holidays and extra relaxation time needed, a bunch of really cool new, uh, new articles out on PipesMagazine.com. A uh, new article from Marshall Butch Armstrong lives in Minnesota, talks about smoking outdoors. And then the one that I'm excited about is from Ethan Brandt. He's going to do articles and videos on pairing drinks with pipe smoking. So the first one's out. It's called Call Me Old Fashioned. And uh, Kevin did a video on old fashions to go with it. So check that out. That's all on the front page of PipesMagazine.com. And while you're there, of course, you can... Check out the new Pipe Babe that's been posted recently. I'm only allowed to do that after everybody's gone to bed around here, which hopefully will be in a couple hours. Um, Also, top 10 holiday gifts to please the piper. Yeah, the Pipe Smokers gift guide is up. And coming up in the next few weeks or so, I'll add in a few few gifts that I like to like to think they're going to be uh, coming around for me in Christmas time. So, all right, everybody, let's get the show going. So, sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company, and here we go. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy, and just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever changing. Milan. 1876. Achilles Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. Achilles' dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. 
Cup of Joe's, a name you know, a name that you trust for all your tobacco needs. Exclusive pipes, pipe tobacco, accessories, pipe stands, and so much more. Cup of Joe's is the one place you can go and take care of every single one of your tobacco purchases. Fast shipping, friendly, professional service. One site, cupofjoes.com. And coming soon, their new line of smoking man pipes, cupofjoes.com. Quality products and extraordinary prices. Welcome back. All right, let's get right through pipe parts so that we can get to Dom because I see him on hold right now. Uh, so here's what's happened. Around the house, as we, as I've mentioned a little bit, we've had some construction and rebuilding going on. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I finally got my pipes back on the cabinet and back out the way that I like to have them. Uh, with all the construction going on and everything, I went through and started doing a whole bunch of cleaning to them. I had noticed that several of my pipes, including ones with uh, with good German ebonite stems and even some of my older ones with vulcanite stems, there was some heavier-than-usual oxidation. And I was looking at the pattern, and the pattern on the top of the stem was almost identical to where, my, where I clenched the pipe and where I use the pipe cleaner to clean outside the stem. So I started doing a little research and a little experimenting with it. And it turns out that, you know, my every pipe full cleaning routine of dipping a pipe and ever uh, dipping a pipe cleaner in Everclear, running it through the draft hole all the way to the bottom of the bowl, turning around and then trying to wipe the uh, tip of the stem. It turns out on the ebonite and really on the vulcanite, it was helping to further oxidize where my mouth came into contact with the stem. And then to further complicate things, my pipe racks hold the pipe straight up and where they had been in uh, their temporary space, they were getting some sunshine on them. So it was right about where the stem was sticking up through the top of the pipe rack and the sun was hitting them. So to make a longer story much shorter. What I did was I went and I hit them with the buffing wheel, tried uh, tried a couple of things with them, got them cleaned up, and now in the past month since doing that, I've stopped using the Everclear on the outside of the stem. And here's what I figure was happening. The Everclear in combination with saliva was helping to dry out that section of the uh, of the stem causing oxidation to happen even faster. Uh, so now what I've done is I've gone back and I've buffed them all and put a little coat, a light coat of wax back onto the stems. And they seem to not be, you know, no oxidation is showing back up. So I'm really happy with it. Uh, recently, I tried using the Mr. Clean Magic Eraser technique. And I tried it on a couple of pipes that I just acquired that were really old, dirty, especially an old, dirty GBD. And I tried it on one of my newer pipes that had a little bit of oxidation left. The basic rule that I've discovered is for the uh, is for the Mr. Clean Magic Eraser, it's good for just a light touch-up. If you've just got a little spot or you want to do a little bit of a cleaning to it, it's great for that. doesn't leave any kind of a residue taste behind 
Uh, it doesn't put a little wax on it for you, but it does do a good, light, simple cleaning and a great little touch-up. It's also very good for getting right in behind the button of the, of the stem, right in that notch in there where a buffing wheel isn't. Uh, Christmas is coming up, so let me suggest to you all that if you're interested in getting your own buffing wheel, uh, first of all, buy a bunch of pipes that you don't care about before you practice with it. You need to get a uh, half horsepower grinder and you need to get a low RPM or variable RPM. I believe 1250 RPMs is the recommended speed for a, uh, for a grinding wheel. And then go to several of the pipe supply companies uh, and get the correct mops and the, and the, uh, and the buffing compounds and the waxes. Practice, practice, practice on some cheap pipes that you're not concerned about before you start with your own favorite jewels. And uh, an example of why is because when I first started teaching myself how to clean pipes, I had the wheel get a hold of a pipe, threw it down on the bench, picked it up, tossed it over my shoulder, and 12 feet across the garage impaled it in a piece of drywall. So you want to practice with that before you do anything. And again, for us that are not professional pipe restoration people, just do the light cleaning stuff. Don't attempt to do the heavy stuff unless you want to teach yourself. But there's a good idea for a Christmas gift, a bench grinder and some buffing wheels and uh, stuff like that. All right, in just a minute, we'll have Dom on the phone with us. There's nothing quite like fishing at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. It's Saturday morning at the crack of dawn. The cool chill of night still clings to the air as the sun slowly rises over the misty surface of the lake. You've waited all week for just this moment. You know that today is going to be epic. Everything is here to ensure perfection, from the nice full cooler packed with your favorite suds to the other empty one, waiting to be filled with piles of freshly caught fish. Reaching into your pocket, you pull out your trusty briar and fill it with your favorite tobacco, aptly named Great Outdoors. It is the perfect smoke for moments like these. A strike, a flash, and your tobacco is lit as the delicious mixture ignites and swirls over your tongue and the deep rich burleys with a hint of sweet Virginia dance in your mouth. You smile, casting your first line into the water. The slowly widening ripples begin to stir as you feel the first bite of the day tug at your line. Now you know it truly is going to be a good day and a perfect time to enjoy the simple yet unmatchable pleasures of the Great Outdoors. Great Outdoors is another fine quality pipe tobacco manufactured by Sutliff, America's oldest tobacco company, and is available at fine tobacconists everywhere. Enjoy your perfect day by purchasing a tin today. This is Internet Radio. Welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show. And to say that I am excited is an understatement because joining us on the telephone is a musician, American songster, student, teacher, pipe smoker, and uh, 
actual live performing now musician Dom Flemons. Don, welcome to the show. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. So we we played one of your songs a couple of weeks ago, and then we reached out to you, and you were kind enough to uh, spend some time with us on the phone because you're out on the road traveling and performing, and we'll uh, we'll we'll get in all the tour dates and everything. But uh, for those that don't know, Dom is a uh, Dom's now thirty two years old. Am I right? That's correct. So you're a young guy, and you're. You've described yourself as a young black guy presenting old black music and other old music, so let's get to know you a little bit. Uh, you grew up in Arizona, which is uh, mm-hmm. not exactly the hotbed for old-time music. Yeah, uh, you know, when I was when I started playing music, it was, uh, well, you know, I wasn't really playing old-time music in like the straightforward sense. Uh, I just was uh, picking up a lot of different types of music that I was hearing on the radio, or I was really interested in a lot of documentaries. So one of the first documentaries I saw that really got me interested in playing an instrument was one called The History of Rock and Roll. And uh, it was on PBS, and a 10-part documentary. And it, that really got me interested in early rock and roll, like, uh, you know, Louis Jordan and blues like Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf, uh, Sun Records, you know, Elvis, and, you know, it just gave me the whole whole swath of people. So I learned a lot of those songs as I was going along. But then also the episode on the folk revival really blew me away. And that got me thinking about people like Phil Oaks and Bob Dylan and uh, Lightning Hopkins. Actually, there was a great film bit of Lightning Hopkins in that documentary that really set me on a trajectory of trying to learn how to play guitar. And so I just started, I started just learning anything I could find. I, I, you know, I know a bunch of pop tunes that would seem very strange to, for people to hear me play them. But, you know, that was what I was doing when I was just trying to get a vocabulary of, you know, how to play the guitar. And, um, you know, then there was a, there was a folk scene, not a big folk scene in Arizona, but there's a folk music community that I happen to, connect with because their main festival, the Phoenix Folk Festival, happened to be down the street from my house. So I was about 16 when I went down. You know, I was playing a lot of Bob Dylan songs and Woody Guthrie songs, and and that community really embraced what I was doing. I was the only younger person there. You know, um, I also wanted to kind of uh, flesh out, you know, being a young black guy playing old black music, you know, it's a... Uh, it's just one of those things. Like I was, I was one that I was one of the only younger people playing any folk music in my area, and let alone the, the being a, a black person too. That wasn't something I really had put into full consideration when I started. But uh, to be a, a black folk singer and a, a songster uh, out there in the world, and being able to talk, uh, you know, as an educated person uh, on a lot of this old music. And trying to put perspectives that I found out there as I've been researching. That's something I've, I've, I've found to be a, a really uh, strong, you know, badge of honor to, to have is just to be an informed person trying to get the stories out and give a lot of these old, old spirits voices. Is it really the, uh, for you, is it really the old spirits and the, and the old stories, or is it the music style that, that you like the most? Oh, both. When uh, when I first started, so 
see, now now I can actually play better than I did when I first started, of course, you know, over development. Uh, you know, like, so at, when I first started playing, I just used to do impressions of different musicians that I'd hear. So it would it'd be really all over the place, you know, like I'd, I'd do my Dylan impersonations or I'd do like a Van Morrison or Paul Simon or uh, Mississippi John Hurt or Lightning Hopkins. I'd do all these impersonations of people. And, uh, you know, that was what I really enjoyed doing at first. Uh, but then uh, it was one of those things where I ran across uh, Alan Lomax's field recordings and I started reading about cantometrics and choreometrics, which were uh, basically, you know, the, the foundation for like stuff that we take for granted now, like Pandora or Spotify, when they use kind of those uh, little variables, or like YouTube does this too, like when you click on something, then it gives you a bunch of recommendations of other stuff that, uh, you know, for whatever certain random variables, these other things that could be related or not be related come up as recommendations because they fit some sort of algorithm that that presents that. So Alan Lomax kind of he kind of he de he developed a thing called the Global Jukebox that worked the same way. And so I started reading about this after listening to his great field recordings he did with his father, and then the ones he did on his own, going from the 30s all the way through the 1960s, and. Uh, when I got into that, it really got me thinking about styles, like what style meant, like uh, regional styles and uh, also instrumentation styles, like in just certain ways of playing it. Because in the traditional field, see, most times people think about music as like, oh, I like playing music, I'm going to pick up an instrument and play it. And so that's easy enough, That's and that's the way most people think about it. But when you get into the traditional field, there are certain ways that people played instruments and played regional styles that they fell out of fashion for whatever reason, and, but there's a certain way to play it, and there's a certain vocabulary that you have to follow. And so for the past 10 years, uh, when I first went to the Black Banjo Gathering, which was an event in, in Boone, North Carolina in 2005, uh, that's also where I met Rhiannon. I also met Joe Thompson. That's also how we, you know, and from there we started the Carolina Chocolate Drops after I moved over. You know, from that point on, for the past eight or nine years, I've just been focusing on old-time styles and not worrying about writing any songs, per se. Like, I'm, you know, I, I've, I've written since the beginning, but I just didn't really put an emphasis on writing anything. And so, I mean, that was, that was kind of the way that I worked. I worked so that there were both of those sides of me were available to me. So it's not like I just decided on this new record to write some songs. I had songs that I've written over the past several years, and uh, in the my previous group, Carolina Chocolate Drops, I didn't feel comfortable putting a bunch of my own original material in there all the time, because as a historically-based group or a group trying to present a, a history that wasn't as well-known, I just didn't feel comfortable putting a bunch of songs I wrote, making up the history, I'd rather just have played the history itself. And so in in doing that, I got very good at learning a lot of different ways of playing, you know. So each, each instrument I play, I got about two or three, and sometimes even like five or six different styles of playing that I could just call on just right out, out of the blue. Wow. So that informs all the 
to that music. <laughs> so it really was a it was a bunch of research and a bunch of listening and and just feeling the style. Yeah, you know, and it, yeah, it was just uh, at first it was it was a lot of just listening on record, you know, because being out in Arizona, I didn't have access to people that played most of this music, so I just had to make my own conclusions. Also, the fact that I got into the music through the 60s folk revival, there were also conduits of people that had interpreted the music so that when I heard their music, you know, sometimes it's just fidelity, because a lot of the early 78s and stuff, this is before the era now where there are really good compilations coming out. Uh, I grew up in the era when it's like Yazoo Records had come out with everything already, and it had already kind of passed. But those were the best compilations you could find. Besides that, it'd be like Document Records, which uh, the point of that company was to just reissue stuff at cheap cost, and the quality didn't have to be great. It was just, you know, it was just out there so you could hear it. Um, those were the two main companies that were, like, available. They were also the first companies that were, their catalogs were made available online. So you you could go on, like, eMusic very early on, like, I'd say, like, maybe 2003 or four. You could go on the eMusic or Listen Rhapsody or... Um, a lot of the early stream services where you had to uh, pay a uh, pay for a number of downloads, you know, you could find a lot of those Yazoo records. And I, I got inf- I got uh, interested in a lot of 20s and 30s music during that period. But that was after a long period of time where I bought records at the store because when I grew up, that was the only thing you could do was go to the store and buy something if you wanted a music. You know, now there's all this controversy about taking music off of the streaming networks and it's I'm glad that there's at least some main there are mainstream stars that are at least trying to make the statement that you that we don't have to do that and you know now I'm in like the fringes so like you know these guys are saying well I'm not going to do it and you know and they're saying oh your seven gajillion plays aren't going to be on Spotify you know like in my in my world that's that's not the sort of plays I'm thinking about like if I can get a thousand plays out of something great but that also means that i'm not making any money either on spotify because it's like you know you get it like a, a tenth of a cent <laughs> you know if you're not a popular person if you're popular you get, you get the popular guy rate or girl uh, on spotify and so you know that, that, but that but i i think both the the main thing i've noticed is both are are great you know both are great things you know where people don't have to buy but you know, I grew up in the culture when you did, and that and that was that was just what you did. So that that was what I was doing for a long time, and, and then a lot of the 20s and 30s stuff, I was into that. So when I learned the styles, you know, I the 60s folk music style was a lot more accessible, just like it was way back then. So as a as a young guy, 16, 17 years old, I was listening to Joan Baez, Bob Dylan, Dave Van Rock, and and all these great singer-songwriters, as well as people like John Hurt, Doc Fogg, Clarence Ashley, people who were revived in the 60s. Then, when I got into the 20s and 30s stuff, I found that I had a stronger vocabulary of, of, you know, what people did in contemporary music compared to this old music. And then also, when doing the old music, I I could interpret it and and try to put a little bit something different. You know, so it wasn't like... I, I didn't ever feel like I had to 
do the original recording note for note, even though I could on certain ones. You know, there was a choice. I, I could I could decide to do either way. You could take your own thing and do a little bit with it. Yeah, and that's traditionally what people do. You know, after listening to after listening to all these records, then moving to North Carolina, and then moving to the South, you see, then I found out a whole different thing. Then you just find out that, you know, uh, even though you hear it on the record and someone might sing strange or have a, a strange style, most of the time it's because that person is a character, real character around town, and that's actually a part of their personality. And so that's that's really like, that was something that really opened my eyes to something new, was that you didn't have to, you didn't have to put on. And so living in the South, I learned how to learn, I learned how to play the music without, without putting on more than I needed to, you know, because again, like I, said, like I said before, it's like a language. So, you know, you learn how to play a certain style and you learn what makes that style, you know, hit or pop or it, it you know, you hit the nail on the head. People will, will recognize an old style if you play it right. And that includes singing and singing and playing. A lot of times people just tend to learn how to play it. They, they don't remember that there's a way, there are ways to sing some of the stuff. And, um, you know, from there I learned how to make my own style just because, you know, after a certain point, you know, even if you try to mimic something completely, you're always going to sound like yourself in the end. Hopefully. Uh, when did you, in, in addition to learning about all the old styles of music, when did you start smoking a pipe? I started smoking a pipe when, uh, let's see, I'm going to say I was 22 years old. I, um, yeah, I started smoking a pipe at about 22. I was working at a public pool, and a friend of mine happened to get a pipe, and he started smoking it, and he, he's like, hey, you want to try this? I said, okay, and you know, I, at the time I was into cigars, so I was smoking cigars, so it, I didn't really care for cigarettes, but I did like the really heavy, robust taste of a cigar, but at the same time, as a guy that's trying to sing, uh, cigars are it's a very heavy smoking experience so it's like trying to smoke like five of those in a week is 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 just i mean you're just already on the road to not being healthy <laughs> compared to just uh enjoying a casual smoke and so i i tried out the smoking the pipe and i thought it was great and um then uh, i found a tobacco shop near my house and and I found that it really wasn't that expensive after the initial buy of the pipe, uh, and I just I just went from there. It just it, it was great, you know. And uh, playing a playing a, a banjo, you know, it, all of a sudden I I started understanding more why I see a lot of pictures of old men smoking pipes on porches with with a banjo. Though I mean, it's really a relaxing experience to be able to sit on a porch and you know. Get your little rocking chair on and just pick a couple of tunes. Oh, that's a really, that's a time, you know. So that was, that that was my big introduction to pipe smoking. And it's just, it's, you know, it comes and goes. Sometimes I don't smoke for a while, and you know. And I found that with pipe smoking, I, I'm I have the willpower to just say yes or no. And I'm it's you know, with it not having any addictive chemicals in it, you know, if it's inconvenient for me to smoke my pipe, then I won't. 
And, um, you know, I find my little moments to, to smoke. And then also pipe tobacco smells so good, you get compliments most of the time when you're smoking. <laughs> We're going to take a break drink. right here. When we come back, we'll talk about uh, pipe tobacco and, uh, his, and Dom's journey into pipe smoking. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Meet Josh. Everyone at SmokingPipes.com holds customers as a high priority, but nobody interacts with them more personally than Josh. He's our professor of pipes, if you will. As a previous professor of history, educating the customer comes easily to him. He loves explaining the history of a particular pipe to a customer or coaching his customer service team. I love to help customers find that perfect piece for their collection. It's my job to make sure there's a smile on the other end of the line and I'm more than happy to be the one to put it there. And although Josh's job can sometimes be quite demanding, he doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why? Because I don't just sell pipes, I smoke them. Call us at 1-888-366-0345. That's 1-888-366-0345. Or check us out online at SmokingPipes.com. We are quality. We are experts. We are smokingpipes.com I'm not just a pipe smoker I'm a Meerschaum pipe smoker all of my pipes come from MeershamStore.com. They've been in business for 50 years, and I can trust that there will be no hassles. Orders are processed and shipped fast, and they have every shape you can imagine, including calabash, claws, dragons, horror, even a sexy series. MeershamStore.com, the most trusted Meersham store for 50 years. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, visiting with Dom. All right, so when you started smoking a pipe, did you, uh, you you go down to the tobacco shop, you pick out a pipe. Did you try different kinds of tobaccos first? Yes, I did. You know, um, the first thing I tried was, was a cherry blend. <laughs> and, uh, oh, man, that was, that didn't quite do right for me. You know, I found that, the types that I, I go for are kind of like the kind of like the medium cavadash, like usually like a Roman maple, or you know ones that have abstract names that I'll just smell them on the spot. I got the place I go over in um, uh, over in, in Durham. They have one called Sunset, which is really nice. Uh, yeah, usually I'll have to get a, me- a medium because the heavy cavadash is just it's just too much. Uh, you know, like uh, ones that are like Sherlock's blend and all that sort of stuff that are just like super heavy, you know, black tobaccos. It's just that that's a little too much for, for my smoking taste. But I like, I tend to like ones that like, you know, like Roman maple, which have a flavor that usually stays a lot longer. The ones that are like cherry blends, I, fa- I find that they tend to get dry and stale very quickly. And so I, I just found that out first off. So you, you're tending towards a lighter, just a, a traditional sweet aromatic, nothing nothing real heavy, uh, but you've tried a whole bunch, and that's where you hit your uh, hit your favorite spot. Yeah, just mostly for consistency's sake. That just like that's the sort of thing I can I can I find that I can I can consistently smoke, and that's going to be that's going to be the right thing for me. Yeah, anything anything that's heavier. It's, it's a you know consistency you know I just 
won't want to smoke that consistently. And then if it's too light, then it's kind of like, well, what's the point? You know, you got to get down to smoking. <laughs> <laughs> when you're when you're sitting on the front porch with your banjo, does a is a straight pipe more comfortable for you, or do you prefer a bent pipe? Hmm. Well, you know, recently I've been I've been getting into bent pipes a little bit more. I used to, I used to love getting the straight pipes. But um, the bent pipes are just, they can be just a little easier to maneuver. And to, especially since I'm on the road most of the time, I found also that the straight pipes tend to have thinner stems. I have a, a whole bag that I got all my stuff in here, and they, it's, it, they tend to break a lot in this bag. And so uh, I found that just, you know, the bent pipes usually have just a thicker, thicker stem on it, so I can just stow it away and I don't have to worry about it. It, uh, it getting busted up. Now, being a being a musician and being on a budget, because you're not one of those uh, one of those big guys or girls that's getting a hundred million downloads an hour on uh, on YouTube or whatever. Uh, I would imagine that your uh, pipe collection is kind of a uh, kind of a modest priced uh, pipe collection. Yeah, I've, I've never gotten, I've never elevated up to the expensive uh, pipe market. You know, like I, I think probably the most I spend is maybe like you know seventy or eighty on a on a nicer pipe. But since I'm traveling on the road so much, I find that that the stuff tends to either get broken or sometimes it just gets lost. <laughs> and so I, 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 I've also just kind of, you know, kind of steered away from getting anything too expensive just because of the nature of the road, you know, whatever it is. Like I hit that 10th day that I just, I just had to run out of the hotel and I just happened to forget all my, forget all my pipe tobacco and stuff like that. Cause that was my, you know, for whatever reason, I didn't put it in normal spot. I just don't want to be worried about how much of, you know, how much I, I lost <laughs> with that, with the, the pipe that I bought. So usually I just, I'll usually get like maybe a 30 or $40 one. I might get something a little more expensive if I see something that, that's to my liking. But for the most part, I just like functionality with the pipe. You know, uh, sometimes the, the elaborate ones have these little, little stems or little holes in them. So you can't really smoke in them very easily. And, you know, again, on the road, I, I just, I like to have the functionality that I'm just, I'm just packing it tamp it a little bit then I'm smoking because I usually rarely have the time to do the full on fill up the whole bowl do the do the really nice tight you know tamping and in, in you know in, in levels and all that stuff it's, I rarely have the time to do something more elaborate so functionality is always the biggest key for me and do you think there's anything to the fact that you know pipe smoking is kind of an old uh, it's an old style old traditional thing in the in your and your uh, passion for old traditional music? I don't. Uh, I didn't. I don't really associate the two together fully. Like in terms of my music, uh, I, I don't really think too much about the pipe smoking. I, uh, I'd say most of my interest in silent film uh, were really what uh, stylistically grabbed me about smoking a pipe. You know, I see like an old Charlie Chaplin film. <laughs> you know, like. The ones where he's like a stagehand and he's, he pulls out a little pipe and is smoking. I always thought that it was a really cool prop in that way. Uh, you know, especially I used to have a really long stemmed one that was like, you know, 
went down past my chin that, you know, I used to like carrying around and it was just kind of a cool look. You know, that's the funniest thing, though. I get that, more so than anything else, I get people asking if it's a prop or not. <laughs> and, uh, you know, then I start smoking and they're like, oh, oh it's not a prop. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to your to your music again, because what instruments do you play? Well, the instruments I play are the uh, the guitar. Uh, I play the uh, plectrum banjo, which is four strings with a long neck on it. Um, I can play five string, but I don't carry one with me all the time. Six string banjo, which is a a, a banjo that has six strings and it's tuned like a guitar. Um, I have. An instrument, uh, the harmonica. I have an instrument called the bones, which are like a uh, two cow rib bone. I hold between the fingers and I make a clicking sound. If you looked it up, you'd be able to see it. Yeah. Uh, another instrument called the quills, which are like a, a panpipe. And I play an Americanized version of a, a panpipe tradition that, you know, there's like three or four different field recordings of guys playing the quills. And so I I try to represent with that that music there. Uh, I think that's I think that's the main stuff I carry on stage. Like, and then I also I play bass drum and snare drum, and fife as well. And those are sort of things that I I don't tend to do them on stage as much, just because uh, you know I just just haven't had a chance to. But um, but yeah, those are all things that I I really enjoy in my music and and doing fife and drum music. And you've got a uh, you've got a very large six string banjo, and I love the name that you came up with. So go ahead and tell everybody about uh, specifically about the uh, the large six string. Oh yeah, that's that's Big Head Joe. Yeah, yeah he's the you know it it was a funny story with that one. You know, like so there's there's a guitar shop in Brooklyn called Retro Fret Guitars, and they specialize in only vintage guitars and odd instruments, you know, so they have not just guitars, but old Italian mandolins and old German violins and harp guitars, which there was a, you know, in the 1890s, there was a big movement for harp guitars, which is a guitar with a big harp on top of it, if you can imagine. Look it up, it's pretty, I mean, it's pretty crazy. Uh, but I found this six-string banjo at a, a New Year's party I went one year uh, over to uh, the shop Retro Fret, and I saw this, this this banjo there. And one of my favorite musicians of all time is a fellow by the name of Papa Charlie Jackson, and he was a fellow from New Orleans who uh, who migrated up to Maxwell Street during the First World War, and he was the first star of Paramount Records, the first solo male self-accompanied blues singer to make popular records. And that was in 1924, as I think is when he started. And so so he's like a great guy, and he plays six-string banjo, and he's like, he's probably the most extensively recorded six-string banjo player. Like you see a Johnny St. Cyr, he played six-string banjo with Louis Armstrong in the top five. Uh, Lonnie Johnson played some six-string banjo. Sylvester Weaver the from Louisville played some six-string banjo. But Papa Charlie has like you know several like several dozen recordings of him playing six-string banjo. And there's just 
there's now like three or four pictures available of him, but the one main picture that they've had available available of him is him playing a big six-string banjo at the Gibson. And when I saw that this big six-string banjo at the retro fret, just to get back to that, it looks so much like Papa Charlie Jackson's big banjo he has in that picture. I mean, I was just stuck there all night playing this banjo. And so this year, I decided to find, it was a, it's a pretty expensive instrument, so I decided this year to put an investment on on this instrument, Big Head Joe. Because <laughs> um, it's a one-of-a-kind instrument. It was made in Philadelphia in the early 1920s, and it's a very, very beautiful banjo. The inlays all are great on it. The, there's a great pick guard. There's a resonator that's also very beautiful looking. I mean, this thing is just, it's just very elaborate. It came with little Christmas lights inside to, to uh, warm the head up, because it's a big head, you know, and uh, uh, people may not know this, when you're playing banjo, uh, with especially with skin heads, you know, just like your own skin, like in weather, it retracts and it expands. And yeah. see, on a banjo, if a, if, a, if a skin is too loose, it just sounds like you're hitting a wet paper bag. And so you have to keep the head tight enough so that you're getting clear, distinct notes out of the instrument. And so it came with these little Christmas lights so that you could warm the head. And so you just plug it in, the lights go on, and they're like these funky Christmas light colors, which is also, I think, <laughs> you know, showing through the head, you know, you know that there's some entertainment value that's growing out of that as well. And so a fascinating instrument. So this year I decided to to buy it and it's just been great I've, I've, I've brought it out to every show that I'm driving because it's a really big banjo and it's very you know I don't know how I'm going to be able to get this thing on the plane but uh, <laughs> it's it's great to pull it out and for people to see this kind of other other world of Americana that you know that most people don't know about this is it, the we're getting on like a you know this is stuff that's now was popular 100 years ago and I feel like that there's a, there's enough parallels that are growing in society where some of the music that came from a hundred years ago, I feel some of it is very relevant, and or at least it can tell us a lot about where how far we've come, and then also where where we might need to try to go <laughs> as a nation, because you know the nation's kind of uh, you know in dire straits in a way, just a lot of uh, not just actually not just literal problems but a lot of uh, ideological issues that are coming up in in the country and you know a lot of this old music it can it can help inform us what did people do back then you know sit down on the front porch pick a little and talk to each other exactly and you know and that, that's the funniest thing is the this i feel like this is the first era i have seen people say no progress no let's just we're going to go away from progress for a second and just especially in this country where we've always been a progress-driven country, to see the the people themselves, I'm, not, I'm, I'm one of them in a way, you know, like it's not a full rejection of technology because people love to have their phones, of course, you know, because that's, that's good functional technology. But uh, definitely, uh, you know, I don't want to upgrade this phone. I just don't feel like doing it because I just know that it's going to be a whole other level of stuff, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And uh, it, it's been interesting to see in the past couple of years, there's been a lot of 
there's been a lot of pushback. You know, especially the elections have just finished. I'm interested to see how things are going to start playing out. And you know, anyway, that's this. There's a whole bunch of stuff. But this, it, for me on my end as an entertainer, I like to present music that that helps uh, show what's great about America and kind of the things that are. You know, some of the stuff that's happened in the past that are really interesting achievements, or sometimes they're, you know, the songs tell stories that that uh, I would think are of interest to people, you know, as entertainment. We've posted on the page for the radio show a great picture of you smoking a pipe and holding Big Head Joe. So you can go awesome. take a look at that. Also coming up this weekend, you you are in uh, Athens, Georgia, and then Birmingham, Alabama, and then yeah. a couple of dates in Knoxville in December and Indianapolis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to be, some of those gigs are going to be with the uh, Old Crow Medicine Show, and uh, I'll be opening up for them with my trio. And uh, then I got some ones picked Pittsburgh. I'm also going to be opening solo for the, uh, a group over the Rhine, which are, they're a great, they're a great duo. And uh, it's going to be great to do that. You know, that's one of the things that's also coming up too is a, uh, as someone kind of on the uh, a, a different like what at one point would have been called on the fringes in terms of this type of music I'm doing, it seems like there's enough there's enough uh, interest growing in in the mainstream acoustic and Americana field, which is growing in a big way. That uh, you know, it's nice to link up with these guys. Like Okra Medicine Show, of course. I've been a fan of theirs since 2004. I partially formed the chocolate drops with Renan and Justin and, and stylistically I, I used a lot of stuff I heard with Okra Medicine Show so for me it's just a thrill to be up there on stage over the Ryan their group I've, I've heard for uh, the past couple of years they, they, they came on my radar and it, you know the fact that they asked me to, to open up for them is great and as a soloist that's that's actually the best sort of situation you know you want to have a big show so people know there's a you know, there's going to be a big show, and, and it's worth coming out to. Um, but at the same time, as a solo act, there's all, you, can, you can do a pretty big show, but, you know, it's always nice when there's a little bit more that you can do. So opening up is really one of the my favorite things I can do. And, or also having openers that are great, great bands. Like um, this last fall, I was with a group called Grace and Tony. They were really amazing. They opened up for me about 20 dates. And it's a uh, duo, husband and wife, and they had a, a little group with them. So it's like a, kind of like my trio where they had drums and bass, or cello and bass. Um, also, I did a, the Central Time Tour with Pokey Lafarge. That was a five-act review show. I hosted that and uh, did a couple of songs between each act. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of potential out there, and and you know that's that's going to be a, that's, that's going to be a great thing. So so I hope people would tune in on the website and and see what. Uh, what sort of show they're going to see, because some of them are a little bit different than other ones. The website is dom, D-O-M, Flemons, F-L-E-M-O-N-S dot com. And before we, uh, before we wrap this up, you are the first uh, Grammy Award winner that I've ever had the chance to talk to personally. Uh, what was it like winning a Grammy? Oh, man, it was a, it was a really great thrill. Um, it, well, it was a, it was a strange it was a strange sort of thing in the way that the pre telecast is, is is like a whole different experience since it's it, that's the whole broad world of of music like on TV you know you see like the main 
uh, I think, seven categories. You see that on TV. But then all the rest of the categories are in this big event that's earlier in the afternoon. So now they're starting to stream it and stuff. Uh, but when we won that year, I mean, it was such a, such a thrill. I mean, it was our first major label album. Uh, it's 2010. The group had been together for five years by that point. Um, you know, Justin Robinson, he had decided to leave the group at that point as well. So it was like a, it was kind of like a last hurrah for the original trio to, um, you know, to be able to say, yeah, we did do something, you know, and we, you know, it felt good to do that, you know. For me as well, I was uh, always in the role of uh, the documentarian as well as being the third member of, member of the group. So for me as a person trying to document and present Southern music to uh, a broader audience through Renan and Justin being a, a young black string band that from North Carolina playing that music, it was a really a great achievement. I mean, it, it just was the, the greatest it was the greatest thing that could have happened. So in that way, it was great. And then for me personally, after we won the Grammy, there's a, you know, they, they take you on a big trajectory in the back and you get all these, you know, that's when all the Associated Press interviews happen and yeah. photos and videos. I mean, they just do a whole bunch of stuff. It's like a big 40 minute thing after, after you're standing there uh, on the stage. And so one of the things was getting a portrait done. And so we're standing there, and we're watching the people before us, and that happened to be Pine Top Perkins and Willie Big Eye Smith, who had won traditional blues that year. And um, that was great. Pine Top actually passed away a couple months after that, and Willie Big Eye Smith has passed away since. And so that was really cool to stand there and watch them get their portrait. And while I was standing there, this guy taps me on the shoulder, and uh, I turn around, and it's Herbie Hancock. Oh, man. And he's like... He's like, hey, what were those things yet? You know, like I had my bones with me when I won, uh, with uh, you know when we won the, the the Grammy, and so I pulled them out and I was like, you know, shaking them around and doing a little dance going up to the stage because it was a very exciting moment. And he saw that and he said, what were those things you were playing? I was like, oh, these are bones. And he's like, hey, let me see those. Hey, how do you play that? <laughs> and so I'm sitting there, I'm teaching Herbie Hancock how to play the bones, you know, and. Uh, and he told me the story. He was like, yeah, when I was growing up in South Carolina, man, we had spoons. We would always be playing spoons when I was a kid, you know? And I was just sitting there thinking, like, wow. It just, just how deep the cultural memory, some of this old music can evoke out of people. It, it, it's like, uh, it, I mean, it just blew me away. I just was like, you know, I was just standing there like I won a Grammy, but at the same time I'm teaching uh, Herbie Hancock, who is a you know a, a far more famous musician than I am, like a, such a simple instrument, the bones, and it just was you know it just it just was really really put it into a very interesting perspective all around you know. So the Grammys are like that though, where it's like you're you know even though we're in the folk world, we're in, way in the back. <laughs> you could still run into a lot of people that were that are in that are kind of the tops of the of the, the music world and you can see that many of them are just regular people and that's that's a, i mean that's really empowering for a younger person getting into it meeting the people that you respect and so i mean that's it, it was a thrill <laughs> to say the least i can only imagine but we will wrap this up with the fast five final questions there's no right answer no wrong answer just whatever comes to your mind so are you ready Wiping the sweat from my brow right now. <laughs> What's your favorite pipe? Ooh, um, 
the one that works. <laughs> and what's your favorite tobacco? Oh, I'm going to have to say that that is the, uh, the rum and maple blend that I can buy at Ye Old Pipe and Tobacco Shop in uh, Phoenix, Arizona at the Town & Country uh, Shopping Center. What's your favorite drink? My favorite drink? Oh, man. I'm going to have to say uh, coconut water. I really enjoy coconut water. Just plain, though. That's a first for the show, so congratulations again. Uh, when it's time to relax, is it a book, a movie, or music? Oh, music. Uh, that was an easy one. And last, do you have a particularly favorite pipe-smoking memory? Hmm. Let me think on that for a second. Particular pipe smoking memory. Hmm. Uh, let me see that. See that's an interesting question that I don't get very often. I'm going to say my favorite moment was uh, it was in the summer of 2007, and the group had been asked to be a part of a movie called The Great Debaters, which starred Denzel Washington and Forrest Whitaker, and so. Um, we were on the set, which was in the middle of the swamp, in, uh, right outside of Shreveport. It was over in Cato Parish, actually, which is where Leadbelly is from, which was really, I mean, it was really awesome to be able to get a little bit of that culture. It was hot, though. It was like June. <laughs> and um, I remember Rena and I were staying around taking pictures of people because it was a, it was a juke joint scene, and... Uh, you know, it was all, pretty much an all-black cast. And, uh, yeah, just seeing everybody dressed up in all this, these kind of old old clothes, it, it was like uh, we were just taking pictures and it all looked like Dorothea Lange. Like, I mean, like, just everybody just kind of sitting there. No one was even really doing anything or posing. And it was just, uh, it was really mind-blowing for us to be able to see that you know, those people in the past were, are just the same as the people now. It's just, you know, we just, you know, see, when you see a photo or hear a record, you generally tend to remove those people from yourself so far to say, oh, yeah, well, they're, they're these, you know, unattainable things or people or, you know, and it just to just to learn that we're we're just always we're all humans in the end, and that and that people have done the same things that they've always done for years, just a, a they just do it a different way. It I mean that was that, and I was sitting there smoking my pipe, watching Green and taking taking these pictures, and it really was something that, yeah, it was it was a, it was definitely a moment for contemplation. But yeah, man, I hadn't thought about that in a long time. But you know, <laughs> I've always I'll call that my favorite memory this, right right now. That one wins. <laughs> Dom, thank you very much for your time again. The website is domflemons.com. Check them out, and I will definitely catch you on uh, catch you playing one day on the road somewhere while I'm out traveling around. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure to make sure to give me a call, and you're, you're welcome anytime, my friend. I'll bring my pipe, and we'll sit down afterwards and maybe smoke a bowl. All right. <laughs> we'll be Sounds back. Good, with, man. We'll be back with some of Dom's music in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. There's nothing quite like working in my shop or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. 
craftsmanship, history, tradition. These are the hallmarks of all quality products, from the finest wines bottled in France to the most highly engineered automobiles manufactured in Germany. Denmark has been the one country in the world where craftsmanship, history and tradition have for centuries created the finest pipe tobaccos in the world. Since 1887, the Halberg family have led the pipe tobacco industry through their ownership of Mac Baron Tobacco Company, and they continue to create the most sought-after blends in the world today, just as they did over 100 years. Ago. In keeping with their long history of providing the world with the best tobacco on earth, Mac Barron is proud to announce their newest creation, Modern Virginia, as a loose cut version and a flake version. Bright and dark, rich Virginia tobaccos have been combined with just a hint of burley for strength in this soft and smooth smoke with delicious fruit undertones. As the world leader in flake tobacco production, Mac Barron is sure that this blend will appeal to the true connoisseurs of traditional Virginia flake tobacco as well as those who like their tobaccos on the sweeter side. Enjoy the culmination of centuries of experience by picking up a tin of modern Virginia from Mac Barron Tobacco Company. Available at fine tobacconists everywhere. And we are back and all I can say is, uh, wow. You know, so much musical talent around the uh, pipe smoking community. I have none of it, so somebody got my share of it. All right, our song for tonight is Hot uh, Hot Chicken from Dom's recent album, Prospect Hill. You can go to his website and download it, or you can find it online and buy it. But uh, this is uh, based off of a story of his from uh, visiting Nashville. So here's Hot Chicken. Rooster on the mother hand. Said cock-a-doodle-doo Mother hen say you darn no fool My fricassee ain't for you I think you want hot chicken I think you want hot chicken Wanna get hot chicken East Nashville, Tennessee Jackrabbit run the Gila Monster Run him a solid mile Gila Monster turned around He said, you know, hey, bub this running ain't my kind of style I think you want hot chicken Don't mistake me for hot chicken If you want hot chicken East Nashville, Tennessee Young man knocked on the window glass Old man gave him the eye He said, boy, you done had your fun with my wife Now quit knocking on my blinds I think you want hot chicken you mistake her for hot chicken If you want hot chicken East Nashville, Tennessee Oh yeah Doctor said hot chicken Where am 
some uh, really hot chicken wings one time in uh, Nashville myself brought back fond memories of not being able to wipe my eyes. You've got some mail. Let's do a quick mailbag here. Uh, P. Russ Pat from Canada writes, uh, thanks for bringing us the interview with Mr. Hossard. I hadn't heard of him until the radio show and it's always nice to learn about a new carver. Brian, I appreciated your piece on the West Coast Pipe Show. When I think about traveling to future shows, I'm trying to determine whether I branch out and attend the Vegas show or even the newly minted New Orleans show with my wife or whether I stick to attending the Chicago show and treat the weekend as a guy's getaway weekend. Hearing that there were good pipe deals on offer in Vegas coupled with the fact that I think Las Vegas would offer more distractions entertainment for my wife than Chicago would makes the West Coast show a real possibility. Mind you, Chicago is the closest thing pipe folk have to a holy city, and having been, that show would be hard to miss. Oh, the dilemma. Yeah, yeah, life's so hard. Thanks for another good show. I hope you're enjoying your morning commute and settling into a routine. (laughs) Uh, Routine not settled into commute, definitely nice. Uh, You know what? I would do both. Uh, the Chicago show is a guy's weekend and then pick one of the, uh, pick one of the other shows as a getaway with your wife and, uh, Hey, call them two weekends. Uh, Denny Balmer from, uh, on Facebook contacted me. I've been a pipe smoker since I was 19. I guess means I've been at it for the past 36 years. I've been listening to your pipes radio show since the first episode. You're doing a great job. If you ever make the rounds in Michigan, you want to stop in at Paul's Pipe Shop in Flint. Uh, Paul passed away this year. He was 101. He was a lifelong pipe smoker and six-time world pipe smoking champion. His pipe shop has been around for 85 years. His son Dan continues the tradition. They have a very long-standing pipe club, the Arrowhead Pipe Club. And then he puts a link in to visit the shop and the pipe club. Uh, Yeah, it is on my hit list of places that I have yet to go to, but have got to get to. And speaking of pipe clubs, if you go to PipesMagazine.com, there is a section of the forums for pipe clubs all around the world. So you can check in and see what's going on there. John Seiler wrote, uh, I'm glad you had such a good time at the West Coast Pipe Show. I do not know Charles Hussard nor his pipes. It seems his path to pipe smoking is the same as most of us. Cheap pipe, cherry tobacco. Um, Yeah, it seems like a lot of us started off with uh, cherry tobacco, and it's the 
the exception to the rule is when somebody starts off with a uh, with a decent aromatic or a, even an English. Uh, John goes on to write. Uh, he seems to be more oriented towards the classical shapes of pipes. Do you know if he attends the Chicago show? Uh, I did ask him about attending shows, and he said that it's a great expense traveling from South Africa to the U.S., but it's on his list of things to do. Uh, John goes on to write, It's interesting to hear about the pipe scene in different countries. Uh, Rascal Flatts' Life is a Highway is a traveling song. I don't know if they smoke pipes. The quality of the music reproduction seems to have improved. Do you have more bandwidth or what? Uh, rant. Microsoft is well known for its customer service. Sarcasm. Bounce, bounce, bounce. Standard American business practice. Uh, things are... I things are similar to MS. Your new location sounds great. Keep up the good work. Thank you, John. Lonesome Piper writes, Nice show, Brian. Just want to make a note about Parikh being originally a name for male parts down below. Uh, in Brazil, the Tupi people, native Indians, call it Piraca, which is pretty close to Parikh. The meaning of the name in Tupi is bald bear as in bald head. I don't believe this to be a coincidence, my two cents. And it's always nice to hear from South America, too. Uh, Casey Ghost writes, The report on the Vegas show is really interesting and enjoyable. I really appreciate the detail that pretty much covered the whole show. The interview seemed somewhat stilted, as if you and Charles just couldn't find a wavelength that worked for both of you. I think one of the problems in interviewing someone from another continent is balancing the natural desire to discuss the culture of his country while still covering the pipe topics. Uh, I did go to Charles' website to look around, and he does have some nice pipes at prices running from $150 to $300. Uh, the music was fine, but uh, that surely wasn't country music. Well, maybe it was because it seems like anything in which you can actually understand the lyrics gets lumped into country music category. I can tell you that old Hank wouldn't have done it that way. Yeah, Microsoft is not easy to deal with. They are so big that training their people to deal with individuals is a difficult deal. And if you don't like them, wait until you confront the imperial oligarchy of St. Jobs and his much higher price points. Uh, my wife will attest to that with her iPod. Uh, Dover Pipes writes, Charles Hussard is a friend and he makes some wonderful pipes. I'm the proud owner of five of his pipes as of now. Charles is getting quite a following nowadays. His pipes all smoke like machines, and they are very well made. He's also very generous. He gifted me a wonderful pipe a while back, and it is one of my finest smokers. Wide open draw and very deep bowl. Buy some of his pipes now before his prices shoot through the roof as he becomes more popular. Ha ha ha. Good show, Charles. Um, yeah, I'm glad you guys like that. And going back to what Dan said, I think uh, part of it was the... Uh, was there was a long delay in the uh, in the phone call and I did some editing on that but it is interesting I I want to learn more about the culture in the area and and learn more about the the different countries and the smoking areas there all right in uh, just a minute uh, I'm gonna take on some uh, thrifty pipe smokers in my rant so stay with us. The Carolinas and the tobacco tradition have been woven together generation after generation. From the Blue Ridge Mountains to the coastal low country, 
It's an integral part of our culture and heritage, building our beautiful tapestry. Cornell and Deal is proud to blend our pipe tobaccos in the Carolinas. Our history with tobacco dates back to the mid-1800s, and in that time we've perfected a variety of blends. The Carolinas have given us the perfect backdrop to do just that. Whether you're a fan of the rich Virginias, bold Latakias, spicy Periques, or unique aromatics, we've got a tobacco that's just right for your discerning taste buds. At Cornell and Deal, we live all things pipe tobacco, blending it, smoking it, and enjoying the company of those who share our excitement. Tobacco, it's what we do. Stop by CornellAndDeal.com. Do you need a reliable source for ordering pipes and tobacco? Do you find it difficult to get your favorite blends outside of the U.S.? Fournoggins.com stocks all of your favorite pipes and tobaccos and ships all over the world. All forms of payment are accepted and orders are processed the same day. There are no worries when ordering from Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com is your source for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We ship in the U.S. and international with no worries. Fournoggins.com for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. Have I mentioned before how some pipe smokers are thrifty? And when I mean thrifty, I mean downright cheap. Well, to protect the names of the innocent and to hide their identity, let me tell you a story of what I found out happened at the West Coast Pipe Show. Uh, four, four pipe-smoking gentlemen traveled in from another state by vehicle, and I found out that the four gentlemen that traveled in out of state uh, shared one room in the courtyard rooms of the palace station. Now, one of the gentlemen was uh, complaining that it was tough to get a good night's sleep because somebody would come in late, somebody would get up early, somebody would snore, da-da-da-da-da. Anytime you put four guys into one room with two double beds, that means that either uh, two people are spooning or, uh, you know, two sets of spooning or a couple of people are sleeping on the floor. It's not going to be really comfortable. If you're spending all the time and all the money to travel from out of state to come to a pipe show, you want to at least make sure and enjoy the show and get a decent night's sleep. Now, here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. I went back and checked. The room that they paid for for Friday night and Saturday night was $49 a night. That's $12.50 per person. $12.50 per person. If they got two rooms, which is two people in each room, one on each bed, they would have paid $25 a night. So that extra $12.50 that they didn't want to spend per night meant that they somebody was sleeping on the floor and somebody had more of a chance of an uncomfortable night. If you're going to a pipe show and you're spending all the money to drive out there, travel, food, and all that stuff, don't be so cheap that you don't want to spend the extra $12.50 a night to get a good night's sleep. 
And uh, besides that, according to Nevada law, it's actually defrauding the innkeeper because the innkeeper is supposed to charge per extra person, and I'm probably pretty sure that they only told him that there was two people in the room. All right, there's the rant. Hey, make sure and follow me on Facebook. Leave us a rating or review on iTunes. Uh, On iTunes, if you're from a foreign country and you're listening... Please send us a copy uh, either by email, brian at pipesmagazine.com, a copy of the reviews and ratings that are on iTunes in the foreign countries because we can't see them from here, but apparently if you're in Canada or the UK, we can't see that rating or review there. And make sure to tell all your friends about the Pipes Magazine radio show every Tuesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, a brand new episode. I want to thank Dom, especially thank Dom for taking time to join us while he's out on the road. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to the fine folks at the Sutliff Tobacco Company, and until next time. About the clouds when we're together. Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy trails to the moon. Till we meet again.